0: Hey there, Voices of Montana audience. Hope you're doing well this morning. This is Courtney Kibblewhite, your guest host on Voices of Montana. And in this episode, we got Beyond the Weather in crow country that's right we talked to the mountain shadow association from lodge grass megan doyle the executive director there what an an incredible person she is as well as misty toinita who's a peer support specialist for mountain shadow association and and this organization man they've come together to address some of the biggest Challenges in that community, challenges that are not unfamiliar with with folks struggling uh, with mental health, with uh, systemic generations of feelings of of powerlessness and 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 um, man, just complications. When you hear Misty's story about being abandoned at birth, raised by her grandmother, falling into addiction, in and out of addiction, and finally joining an organization to help people in their rural community move past some of these um, some of these cycles of, of shame really and uh, I think you'll be inspired I hope this is something that you might be able to bring back to your own community or at least spark some thoughtful conversation I want to thank the Arthur M. Blank Family Foundation and their Montana properties who are committed to reducing mental health stigma for all Montanans they've sponsored this message hope you enjoy Good morning, Montana. Courtney Kibblewhite here with Voices of Montana on the Northern News Network, and welcome to the final Friday in June 2022. We didn't know when we woke up this morning, but today is actually a, a historic day for the for the country. If you've been following the news over the last half hour, the US Supreme Court has struck down Roe versus Wade this morning and will um will We'll be ending that. Um, we'll be ending that uh, uh, law and turning those decisions over to the state. Actually, Governor Gianforte has already issued a memorandum this morning, and and he says, and I quote: "Today marks a historic win for life, families, and science. With this monumental decision, the Supreme Court has restored power to the American people and their elected representatives." Uh, Gianforte continues to be in discussions with legislative leaders on what the next steps or Roe vs. Wade ending might potentially be for Montana. So no news yet as to what that may mean for our great state, but something that um, certainly will be on a lot of people's minds. So today we are going to, um, I mean, there, gosh, there's a lot of different things that could be on your your mind this morning. And, and um, you know, whether it's... I don't know if you've been out cleaning debris out of your house in Fromberg. that community of 400, 200 people there are working, uh, working on rebuilding after the floods, or maybe you're pa- packing your camper, getting ready for a weekend at Swan Lake, or or maybe your mind is um, on this decision for Roe versus Wade, wherever you stand there. But today we are going to take you beyond the weather, as I like to say, into the minds of those in Crow Country, specifically in Lodge Grass. and that's today on Voices of of Montana. So as you know, at, uh, at Northern egg and Northern news networks, we're, we're committed to changing the narrative on mental health. It's, uh, my, my family background is of course, uh, ranching and agriculture and, and it's a bit taboo to, um, to talk about how you're feeling. You're supposed to just, uh, bury it down deep and get out and, and work and not talk about it. But, um, but there's a lot really that's going on beneath the surface and that matters to, to help everyone be their best selves for their families, their businesses and their communities. Um, so, so I'm going to introduce a, a, a couple guests this morning representing Mountain Shadow Association. Now, Mountain Shadow is a community-based Native American nonprofit, and they're focused on repairing and restoring relationships between children and their parents, citizens and their communities, families and their culture, and, and individuals and their environment. So before we get into... Um, before we get into Mountain Shadow Association specifically and and I think it's a really interesting model that everyone will want to hear about because it it goes to that notion of when you see something going on in your community and maybe it's systemic, maybe uh, maybe it comes from generations of, of feelings of powerlessness or what have you, you can you can get together with members in your community and you can do something about it and that's what uh, that's what Megan Doyle, and um, and her colleagues have done so. Um, first, I want to introduce Misty. Uh, Misty, you're going to have to say your last name uh, for us here. Misty Toynita. Yes, Misty Toynita. And uh, uh, Misty's from from Lodge Grass. She's a certified behavioral health peer support coordinator for. Um, for Mountain Shadow and Misty's got a got a great story to tell because she's she's lived through addiction and and now she's um, rising up to meet a need in her community. So uh, and. Before I before we go into Misty's story, I also want to introduce Megan Doyle, who's the executive director of Mountain Shadow Association. And Megan, uh, you may know in Lodgegrass, is a, formal, a former high school teacher there. Uh, she's been a professor at Montana State University, and she's also uh, the director of the regional community action team at One. Health. And Megan, of course, is one of the founding members of Mountain Shadow. Good morning, ladies. Tell us what, uh, what's what been going on in Lodgegrass. Good morning.
1: Uh, so we've been we set up, well, we started out before with the drop-in center. Um, we were first, we didn't have land or anything. We were posted up by the Lodgegrass post office. And we just were, were working out of an RV. We got through the winter in that. Until our land was uh, solidified and
0: purchased, the purchase
1: went through. So well, now Ma- we have Misty.
0: A- let me take you just a, a step back further. To I, okay. I want to set up for the audience, and this is a fascinating story because I don't know if you just just uh, just caught on, but over the last year, Misty has been operating a mental health facility uh, for youth and an after-school program out of an RV, essentially in the community. But uh, and Megan, perhaps you can help set us up with what What is the need in the lodge grass community? What are the challenges that the community has faced either historically or re- within the last five or ten years? I understand you might have some statistics as to what um y- what addiction looks like in that community
2: it
0: sounds like we're not having a great line for. For Megan. Um, Megan, you might mind. Okay. Oh, no, go ahead, Megan. There you go. <gasps> Sorry about that. We've got, um, um, you know, we, we are working on a lot of addiction and mental health
2: issues, and, but I don't think that's unlike a lot of communities in Montana, um, especially rural, small rural communities that are, you know, struggling to thrive economically in a lot of other ways. Um, but, you know, really Mount Shadows started because, There was a group of folks that were concerned, a lot of them, you know, I got to work with as high school students, and it's really exciting to watch them come together and to say, okay, um, this is a problem that is not going to be solved from outside of our community. We need to start working on the health of our local community and doing it together and um, figuring out how to do that. You know, not, not everybody on our team is behavioral health specialists or even has a background in that, but what they do have a background in is being caring members of their community and wanting to come together and bring the strengths that they do have, the skills that they do have to make a change for the community to just really support folks. So in our community, we have a lot of kids being raised by grandparents. Um, We've got almost no income coming in from um, those families that have young children uh, because we don't have jobs in our community that that they can get. Um, We've got a lot of struggles with um, keeping families together, a lot of young families struggling to learn how to parent and to do it well In well. There's a lot of competing stressors that are going on in their family and, and a lot of inherited things that are happening as well. Um, so we just really wanted to come together and figure out solutions for those. And what we found out was that a lot of the solutions were really around... Um, being connected to each other and having, um, meeting the social and emotional needs of each other as community members, um, and getting rid of the isolation that we have and the separation we have between people and really forging a pathway to do that, that, you know, is doing the hard things that, um, love is all about and, um, being consistent and walking through a process that's taking a long time. Um, and also just really, you know, being determined not to not to get offended by things that are hard, by people that are hurt, and in
0: figuring out how we're going to do this together. And if if I could just paint a little bit more of a picture, because uh, I think these statistics are kind of astounding. And and for those who aren't as familiar with Lodge Grass, uh, and I. I don't want to paint Lodgegrass in a negative light because honestly love the community. And actually, some of, the, um, some of the only Browns that my family is actually related to are Mary and Jimmy Brown, um, who ranch near Lodgegrass. A lot of great people there, um, both uh, Indian and whites. Just, just a wonderful community. But the community is about 89% Indian. Um, in that community, 88% of the area newborns are born to single mothers. of those mothers are teenagers and half are raised by grandparents. Um, More than 60% of the residents over the age of 14 are experiencing drug or alcohol addiction and 70% of the county victim assistance cases are children experiencing sexual assault. So those are, those are, those are stats that, I mean, this is happening throughout the state. This is, this is, these are challenges that are happening in, in many different communities and and what I love about the Mountain Shadow Association is it's, it's people saying we're going we're gonna to change and we're going to end that cycle here. So, Misty, mm-hmm. let's, let's talk to you because you've, you've got an interesting story where you have been successful in, in ending this cycle. Where, <laughs> where does your story um, start for everybody? And I, I appreciate your vulnerability in coming on the radio and, uh, and sharing such, um, such a personal story. Sure. Um...
1: You know, all that stuff that you mentioned, the list of stuff that the um statistics and stuff, I came from all those. You know, I was raised by my grandmother. Um I had a baby at 16. You know, uh I was a, a single mother at first for that boy and my my grandmother raised me and she also raised him. I started using drugs at the age of um 15. It went on for about 25 years. Through, that, through all that, I had five children. Um, I had two while we were in rehabilitation, while we were getting better. Uh, one day, my husband and I, uh, we had been together at ten, for 10 years. At that time, we decided to go and get better. You know, it was time to do something different. We had both come from broken homes. I was abandoned at birth at the hospital, and my grandmother went and got me and bring me home and raised me from day one. Um. My husband was born in a, into a drinking home and raised by his dad, just his dad. So, um, you know, we came from broken homes. Uh, we got together. Uh, we wanted to have kids, you know, that would be able to play with each other, you know, and have brothers and siblings because we didn't really have any. Like I said, I was, you know, adopted by my grandmother and he was the youngest of his family. So... It was something we wanted to do, although we were in addiction you know and we we you know we really it was something we really wanted and and yearned for and needed throughout our throughout our lives and our experiences to have a family so we did have uh we had four kids we went to treatment um in two thousand ten. We graduated 2011, and then, mind you, we had to go all the way to Washington to find a family treatment that would take us and our kids.
0: How did you so, identify a place in Washington that would, I didn't even know there were treatment facilities that would take yeah, entire families? How did you get connected there, to it?
1: Well, just a week before we had decided, we were in a slump, and we were kind of like at a, at a hard place, and we happened to have a friend come over and mention she was on her way there and started telling us about it, you know, and, and how they accept kids and families. This was like a week before, and then a week later, we we showed up there, and she was there. So, uh, we just loaded up on a bus and left in the middle of the night. Uh, we got there, we stayed a year there, and we thought we could just, you know, come on back home, you know, that, that same night we graduated, we came home, and it was like almost being thrown back into hell, because we mm. came back, and there's nothing here, you know. Mm-hmm. There was no support. There was no meetings. There was no peer support specialist. There was nothing, you know, that, that we could grab onto. I think we found one Celebrate Recovery here at the church that we went to, but when that was over, that was it, you know, and we hung on as long as we could until we were struggling again, and so we went back. I had two of my kids over in Washington, my two youngest. Um, We went back and ended up staying two to three years you know, so we, we did a total of about five years to get out of a 25-year addiction. We stayed there until we knew we were firm and that we were able to come home. And, you know, because I had lost my mother while I was there and my husband's dad was getting older and he was needing him, you know, we needed to come back. But it was not till I fully surrendered that I was able to do that, that the doors opened up and I was able to come home. And we all came home and we've been doing good here ever since. We got a house here in Lodge Grass. Uh, this time when we came back, there was, this is when the community was coming together to try to do something about, you know, all this bad stuff that's going on, you know, and trying to, you know, trying to support and, and trying to build something up, you know, to have something for the people. And so we happened to show up during that time and got included in that, you know, so we, I, we've been with Mountain Shadow for five years now. And it's just been amazing work, you know. Um, Megan's an amazing person, you know. She she's got a lot of great ideas and, and just a great mind. And so, and that's uh, she, Megan
0: Doyle that Misty is yeah. referring to. Megan is the uh, executive director of Mountain Shadow Association. And I, I want to key in on one one point that you mentioned there, Misty, and that is the the lack of services. I mean, addiction health in general in rural Montana. We, we do. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in Billings. We've got the Rimrock Foundation here that does serve people across the state. Not entire families, but it does serve people and, and you mm-hmm. think about all of the different rural areas that we have and you're going to get sent somewhere else for treatment and when we go back to a small community, it's, it's hard not to I mean, there's not a lot yeah. of people to be friends with. How do you create a new no. friend group when there's not many people there? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, going back to the same crowd is always not good for you, you know, but I mean Now that I've become stable and strong enough to do that, you know, I'm able to help people and and be here and meet them where they're at, you know, and instead of being there, joining them, you know, and and using and
0: stuff. Well, let's take a a quick break, Misty. When we get back, we're going to talk about how the community came together to form Mountain Shadow Association. This show is brought to you by the AMB West Foundation, and we'll be right back on Voices of Montana.
3: We can how special our waters are, but pests like zebra mussels and Eurasian watermilfoil can harm recreational opportunities. Please help protect Montana's waters by cleaning all mud, plants, and debris off your boat, recreational equipment, and fishing gear before you leave the access site. Drain water from motors, live wells, and bilges, and allow your boat and equipment time to dry before the next outing. And no matter what watercraft you use, please stop at all inspection stations. Together we can protect Montana's waters. Visit clean drain dry mt.com.
0: Welcome back to Voices of Montana. I'm Courtney Kibble White. And again, despite what's going on in the national headlines with the U.S. Supreme Court striking down Roe versus Wade this morning, and the and the floods folks are facing in uh, Southeast Montana, the drought in Northern Montana, there's there's a lot going on. But we're we're getting beyond the weather, and we are talking to a group out of Lodge Grass, the Mountain Shadow Association, Executive Director Megan Doyle and Peer Support Coordinator Misty Toynita. and we just heard Misty's story coming from. Um, Essentially, being abandoned at the hospital, raised by her grandmother, ending up in addiction, and then finally breaking the cycle after a couple attempts at treatment. I have to think, uh, Misty, that with with these with this with these numbers and this and this perpetual challenges within the community, um, there's nobody that's not not touched by the effects of addiction. Yep. I mean, 60% right. of residents experiencing drug or alcohol, it, it's, if it's not you, it's your friend or your mother or your sister. It's, it's somebody that you know. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and so tell us and, and, and Megan, I'm not sure who should, who should share the story, but I understand. In 2017, six couples came together to try and figure out an action plan for change. That's that's a pretty incredible. Um, I mean, it sounds like a mountain to be honest. So, what were, who are those six people, and what on earth were they thinking? I'll let Megan.
2: Do it. Oh, no. <laughs> Thank you, Leslie. Uh, well, they're average people for the most part. You know, they were folks from Lodgegrass community. So when I was a high school teacher, I knew most of these guys as high school students and stayed in, we stayed in touch over, you know, 15, 20 years. And I think it's common experience for all of us that we, you know, look at the problems around us and they seem big and we think, um, how are we ever going to have enough money or enough knowledge or enough expertise to solve these problems? And can be really easy to get stuck in that spot and I think we just came to a question one day sort of accidentally like we could do more than just pray about this problem what would we want to do and then we just decided we had to take a step Um, we just decided we're never going to be in the spot where you know we think we have enough to handle this and so we just took a step and we applied for a grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Um, they don't usually fund small communities like ours so it was awesome that um, they came, and we were partnered with a group called um, The Greater Good Studio, and they helped us do a family-centered design process where we just brought together our whole community, literally our whole community. Um, everyone was invited to participate, and we just we collected information and feedback from them about, you know, where are we at, what are our issues, what are our assets, and, um, and like, even the kids... You know, they came and they built Main Street out of Legos. Like, what is what do we want Main Street to look like in our future? And what are the things that we want that make this community thrive um, and that make families thrive in this community? So it's really a family and child-centered project that we worked on for nine months together. And out of that really came a, t- a lot of hope, which was surprising because you get stuck in a spot sometimes where you think, um, you don't have any assets, you know, when you're dealing with a lot of poverty and a lot of social issues and a lot of um, things that are really weighty, it you can get your eyes on those and you start to lose sight of any assets that you have that could help you um, come out of that space. And through that process, we got to see um, some of our assets and start using some of those. And um, so we kind of joke that we're um, Hope Dealers now. Like, that's our favorite part <laughs> like of our job, being Hope Dealers yeah. Yeah, we actually have jackets that say, um, ask me what I got for you.
0: <laughs> I'd, I'd like to say that I try and deal in a little hope myself. <laughs> yeah, Love that. Yeah. So um, anyway, it was, it was um, six
2: married couples, um, which I think in this day and age is a little extraordinary in and of itself. But um, then we just started moving forward with what we called pilot projects, little things to make a change. And it was amazing how people in the community responded to even small things um, like posting on Facebook about how much the environment itself had changed, the atmosphere of the city had changed and how they wanted to be there. And they wanted to move back if they left. And it was a place that they wanted, you know, their parents to grow older in and that they wanted their kids to come back to. And we really hadn't done a lot at that point. I mean, we we filled in a hole that had an old abandoned building and made a little park there and planted a few plants and, um, just that small thing started to change how people were seeing the place where they lived. And so then we kind of broke off into these, pursuing these different bigger things that we wanted to also do. One of them was building a business incubator. And so um, one of our grassroots team members was Quincy Dabney. He and his wife were um, on that beginning team and he ran for mayor and won as a write-in. Um, and and so he really, with the city, started pursuing a business incubator and then the other thing that we really wanted to do was a family healing center, <clears throat> and we really wanted to have a trauma treatment center um, because we felt like that was further upstream than the addiction and the other things that we were seeing. We felt like most of what we had learned about the struggles from our community were symptoms of of um, the, the bad and the hard things that people had experienced in life growing up, you know, some of what Misty shared in her story is some of those things, and we wanted to deal with those things um, so we we needed. To well, let's go ahead things.
0: and and take a quick break, Megan. When we come back, uh, okay. want to hear more about the uh, Mountain Shadow Association and and how Misty got involved. But first, we're going to take a break and go to the Montana Headline News from Brian Bennett and the Northern News Network.
4: The U.S. Department of Transportation's Federal Highway Administration has announced the immediate availability of $65 million in quick-release emergency relief funds. It is a down payment to help repair flood damage that caused the closure of Yellowstone National Park and impacted roads and bridges in Montana and Wyoming and the surrounding area. The U.S. Senate has passed a bipartisan agreement on guns that includes enhanced background checks for people younger than 21 and a significant investment in mental health and telehealth resources. Montana, Wyoming, Alaska, and Idaho perennially rank highest among states in gun suicide rates. In January, Montana Highway Patrol troopers organized under the Montana Federation of Public Employees and filed a complaint that centered on new rowing machines the patrol recently purchased. This week, the State Labor Department ruled the Highway Patrol engaged in an unfair labor practice by introducing a new physical fitness test and incentives outside of union negotiations. With Montana News headlines on the Northern News Network, I'm Brian Bennett.
0: Back to Voices of Montana. Today, we're talking to Misty Toynita and Megan Doyle with Mountain Shadow Association out of Lodge Grass, right, right there on the uh, Crow Reservation. So we are glad to have both of you here. Uh, Megan was just sharing a few of the projects that Mountain Shadow Association has started with, or or the group of folks who started the association have have initiated. And and so Misty, when did you uh, when did you get involved? At the beginning, when we started
1: Mountain Shadow, we were there b- before we were even a non-profit. So when we started meeting, we were one of the couples, and we got involved. And, and then Megan got me the peer support training, you know. And so I went to it, and I didn't think it would blow up into all this, <laughs> you know. Cause, but peer support started blowing up after I got uh, certified, you know. It was a big thing, you know, and people were using peer supporters at all of the mental health places because they were So Misty, tell us
0: what what, what does peer support mean? That that can sound like a broad term. What what are what are you doing? Who is seeking you? What what's happening with peer support?
1: Okay, peer support is something you get certified for. You you have to be two years clean into recovery And, and it's basically somebody that that can meet them where they're at and understand where they're coming from. You know, a lot of times, speaking for myself, when I was in addiction, I didn't want to go talk to a doctor or a nurse or anybody, you know. I didn't want to go and tell them what was really going on in my life, you know. But me, I can meet these people where they're at, and I can uh, let them know that I understand because I've been there.
0: There's you know? kind of so a less uh, of a, maybe a fear of judgment or something, if, it's, if yeah. you know it's somebody then, who's been in your shoes.
1: There's no judgment here. This is a safe place you know, where they can talk, and, you know, and, and what I do is I share, share a word with everybody in the morning. I pray with them if they need prayer. I encourage, uplift. We have talking circles, parenting classes, which is under Motherhood and Fatherhood is Sacred, uh, Narcan trainings, and that's to go towards the opioid uh, crisis, you know, that we're having, you know, uh, in here and everywhere else in the world you know, to train people in case of an opioid overdose to revive them. So that's another thing we're trying to get out there. I feed a warm meal. You know, I give warm handoffs to, to one house if I need to send them there to, uh, to get other services that we don't have right here on hand. Um, and we help with treatment travel. You know, if somebody wants to go somewhere and they set it all up, we can help them get there with a
2: ticket.
0: Wow. So, those are so you do a lot of different things, it sounds like. And- I do a lot. And things and that, that's along with the kids drop in center you know, well, let's then, talk uh, more about the Kids Drop-In Center. We have to take a, a break here. I want to hear more about the Kids Drop-In Center because this is a really interesting service that the Mountain Shadow Association out of Lodgegrass has provided the last few years. And and um, people are going to want to know about it. And, and you may want to replicate something like this in your community. Before we go to break, I want to thank AMB West, the Arthur M. Blank Family Foundation, for sponsoring this content and, and supporting Mountain Shadow Association. Arthur M. Blank Foundation is committing to re- committed to reducing mental health stigma in Montana. Voices of Montana continues
2: right after this.
0: Welcome back to Voices of Montana. I'm Courtney Kibblewhite, your guest host, standing in for, for Tom Schultz. And uh, here we are this morning. We're visiting about Lodgegrass, Montana, and a program that they have set up there to help address addiction and, and really unite uh, unite their community. I have to say, as I've been talking to, to Misty Toynita, who's a peer support coordinator for Mountain Shadow Association and and has herself been been through a, a teen pregnancy and addiction. And she's about to tell us about the youth mental um Youth mobile health facility that that she services, and 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 I can't help but think about this morning with the um, with the news of the U.S. Supreme Court striking down Roe versus Wade, and not that abortion happens only within the youth community, but um, but it's certainly heavy on my mind of of something that you know perhaps. It, it, Youth pregnancy might be something that um, folks come to you at in in your after-school program for mobile health. Have have you seen, have you been a part of those conversations, Misty? Not
1: quite yet. You know, we just started the the kids program the beginning of this year, and um, it was during the ending of the school year. So I met with the school and, you know, talked with them about sending down, we wanted to kind of target disconnected kids. Kids that have, you know, um, problems at home, you know, we wanted to create a safe space for them to come to. We um, have a, a laptop room set up for them to do homework, you know, or, and maybe have some tutoring done in there. Um, we also are, are building a skate park here in front, right in our, on our property here that we have. Wow. When we got this property solidified. There's a house on it. So that's where I'm sitting at right now That in the house. We, we fixed it up for the kids so that they have a place to come to. The house is theirs. The uh, RV belongs to the adults. And so... So kids um, just
0: drop by after after school, or are, are they... Yeah, is it invite-only? How does that work?
1: Certain ones, you know, that were disconnected and had, had stuff out, maybe, maybe didn't get a meal at home, you know, and needed something hot to eat, you know, just a safe place for them to come to and, and you know, and talk about um, hard things, you know, if they needed. it. Um,
0: and And I'm guessing nothing like this existed when you were in school. no huh?
1: <laughs> so now it's summertime you know we changed our hours for during the day, and we um we we've kind of opened it up to all the kids you know and and the more they come they get to earn they their attendance earns them towards a the skateboard for the skate park, oh. so we got little little things you know for them to work towards we have um prizes we they if they have a uh project they want to work on, or they think of some kind of project they want to set up, we got money set aside for each one of them to do a project, you know, um, <clears throat> just good stuff, you know.
0: Well, and I, I saw in your bio that in the first quarter of this um, after-school program, you worked, had 915 visits, is that true? That's the,
1: that's the drop-in center.
0: The drop-in center, okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Wow. That's, the adult drop The adult drop-in center, okay. Wow so I
1: just wanted to say um, me and my husband my we're seven years clean and in May so congratulations wow and my husband's got a great job he drives a truck and I run the drop-in center here I've got great kids I have two seniors that are future farmers of America the president and the vice president here at the school so I mean
0: my family I got a great family you know <laughs> That's amazing. And and so if you if we if there's folks listening today who might be in the in the Lodge Grass community or, or know someone there that um you know maybe could benefit from either the drop-in services or the after-school program, where would you where would you send them? You would
1: send them straight down Main Street. Uh they would come straight down Main Street until it till it stops to the end of it and there's a greenhouse right at the end of that and it says Jesus is Lord on the front of it. And you'll see the RV
0: also. And are, are, is it online at Mountain Shadow Association? Is that where they can uh, find your contact? Uh, yeah. Okay, wonderful. Well, I'd like to to take um, a step into the future, I guess, with Megan Doyle, who's okay. the executive director of Mountain Shadow Association, because because she's um, working on this vision of a family healing center. So, Megan, what what is a family healing center and, and what what's the mission there in Lodge Grass?
2: Sure. So uh, the family healing center is um, basically a safe ecosystem where whole families can come um, to be supported while they work on their own growth um, and healing in, you know, emotional, physical, um, you know, behavioral healing um, that can happen between parents and their children and between husbands and wives. Um, So looking at the whole family unit and creating a safe um, place for them to do that. And it also the Family Healing Center is kind of a village, so there are places where um, families can live, um, but there are also places where they are engaged in community. And community is a really significant part of addiction because um, the drivers in our brain for addiction are, are, you know, in what they're really there for is to drive us towards community and social connection. And so when we're missing that, um, those receptors in our brain are empty and they're looking for something to be filled with Um well and I would so think really in important.
0: as as I think about native communities and the history that I know that's that's very much the images that we have in our heads of um of of folks that would be in a tribal community it would be very community centered and living closely operating closely together, so that sounds like a natural um natural sort of thing in in a, an environment like this, yeah.
2: I think um, healthy community is something that is definitely a part of um, indigenous culture and history, um, and we just have some unhealthy pieces that uh, we're trying to help families um, navigate. So in, in a family healing center, the this, this space is a little bit more protected, and um, it's a little bit more intentional around um, you know, healing happening in a place where there aren't external stressors that are um, competing for that healing time. And um, so this Family Healing Center provides a lot of things like um, it does provide behavioral health um, and physical health connections um, that for so people can get that while they're there. Uh, but it also provides uh, job skills like construction skills, indigenous culinary skills, teaching skills. Um, we have an indigenous preschool that will be there, um, homes for um, and space for foster families and children um, working on reunification. And um, also just um, a real effort to keep families together. So we really want to interrupt um, the process of kids going into foster care settings. Um, we want to interrupt that moment because it's really hard physiologically on children to recover from that moment, um, even if being on the other side of it might change their, their circumstances. So so how
0: would a family bring- healing center do that? You talk about interrupting the, the process of, you know, perhaps stripping a child from its family because of addiction. What Where would the Family Healing Center come into play?
2: Sure. So as an example, if we had a family that was, um, you know, the CPS had become involved and they wanted, you know, to consider um, removing the children, there's usually time to create a plan um, and to help families change their trajectory. So we would want to bring that entire family onto the Family Healing Center, into the village, which we call College Village, because most people said that grandma was their safest place. Um, and grandma in curl language. Um, So bringing them onto that facility um, as a whole family unit and then working through the parts of their life that aren't functioning in healthy ways and helping them um, in a supported environment to change that, to create new ways of parenting, to really learn how to be a sustainable family, to have an income and to have parents who are employed and to make sure that kids are getting good, solid education and that their nutrition is strong and, all of those things, we're able to sort of surround a family and help them come into that space. Uh, Because the reality that we know is that, you know, about 17% of people will find some kind of treatment and will get better through that treatment. But another 56% of people will quit their addiction at some point on their own in their lifetime. And the number one reason that people do that on their own is because they want to parent better. And so we want to capitalize on on the belief that people do want to be good parents for their kids. And they just need the tools and support to be able to
0: do it well speaking as a mother, you know you may not be the <laughs> the best mother in the world, but your 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 mother is still your mother, you know, and i I get that kind of focusing on those natural human drives so when we come back from from this final break i am fast, I'm fascinated with this concept of restorative justice and how that fits into um, some indigenous narrative and even now looking forward into the community at Lodgegrass. So you'll want to stay tuned to hear about that. But before we go into break, don't let setting up a 401k for your business feel like a never-ending marathon. Lace up your sneakers and learn how simply providing a high-quality retirement program for your employees can be. Let the Montana Retirement Choices programs get you there. Learn more at montanachamber.com. We'll be back right after this.
3: Tom Schultz here with Voices of Montana, where Army veteran Troy Broussard with AARP's Veterans and Military Families Initiative caution Montana veterans about scammers targeting them with phony calls. Be wary of any individual or lender that contacts you and asks you to pay some fees up front or tells you to make mortgage payments to someone other than your current loan servicer, that's a big one, and then our represent that they're calling on behalf of a VA or any agency of the government. Colonel Jones, this is the Department of Veterans Affairs calling to update your Social Security number. You initiate those particular calls. The VA or any other agency of the government would not call you for this type of information. These and other scams are costly and are on the rise. In 2021 alone, $267 million was lost, up from $102 million in 2020. We had to come up with something with AARP to help our veterans and our military families. Find valuable fraud prevention resources for veterans and others and learn how the AARP Veterans Health Benefits Navigator can help guide you. Visit aarp.org slash veterans. And thank you.
0: Let's jump right back in on Voices of Montana. I'm Courtney Kibblewhite, your guest host on the Northern News Network this morning. And, and I have just been fascinated to learn about this concept called restorative justice that the Mountain Shadow Association out of Lodgegrass, Montana, is integrating into their model. Uh, Megan Doyle, the executive director, please share how where does this concept come from?
2: Well, restorative justice is really an Indigenous concept from its very beginning. Uh, it's been used in a lot of um, non-Indigenous contexts, but that's where its roots are at. And um, for us, it's an important concept because it is, a, it is a, uh, a method that we can use to heal communities from wrong things that have happened. And um, the real, um, like I said, the origins are um, Indigenous to begin with, and you know, for Plains tribes, one of the the key moments um, in um, our transition away from using restorative justice and more towards our current justice practices um, is was called Curdog's case. And, and that particular case was one where um, two two chiefs, um, one killed the other, and the, the community practiced its restorative justice in bringing the two families together um, to talk about how they were going to heal the harms um, that that killing had caused. And as a group, both sides decided that the punishment for this man was going to be that he had to serve the other man's family for the rest of his life because he'd essentially taken their provider. Um, And so both sides had agreed, both families had agreed, and that was what was going to transpire from there. But um, the Bureau of Indian Affairs was also newly involved with tribes at that time, and The agent there didn't feel like that was a severe enough punishment um, for murder, Um, and so he sentenced her dog to be hanged. And the case actually went up, I think, all the way to the Supreme Court, and what ultimately was decided was that he would serve the first sentence that was given to him, and so he did end up um, serving the the restorative justice sentence, which was that he served that family for the rest of his life, provided for them. But he went on to have four sons, and those four sons became um, leaders of the tribe moving forward. So, yeah, the legacy um, of goodness that came from that point forward um, that was just worth looking at. Um, Another place where we've seen it is a community in Canada called Hollow Water, um, and they have, they said that 80 to 90% of the people in their community had experienced sexual abuse or had been, had perpetrated sexual abuse on on others, and that it had become, um, you know, swept under the rug and also normalized and they came to a point where they had to face it and address it. So they instituted restorative practices for it. In, in our current U.S. justice system, folks that are um, convicted of a sexual offense, we offend about 89% of the time. And at Hollow Water, when they instituted restorative practices, um, which really look at the harms rather than how are we going to punish this, but looking at the harms of what's happened and how do we heal and fix those harms, um, when they started instituting that practice and, you know, gathering communities together and doing this process with communities, um, I think they've been doing it for between 12 and 15 years now, and their um, reoffense rate is 2%, so it's just very different from what we're experiencing in the United States when we're prosecuting these crimes, and we wanted to see that in our community. So we started learning about restorative justice, in one of the first counties we got to experience what it was like and how it changed the dynamic of of wrongdoing in the community is that um, we had uh, a kid who threw a rock through the window of our our president of our board who had just gotten restorative justice training. And um, so he went to the family, they met his family, and, and he asked the kid the first question, what happened? And he said, I just walked out the window and I threw the rock. I mean, I walked out the door and I threw the rock here. Truck happened to be in the way, but I wasn't aiming The second question is, what were you thinking at the time? He said, I came home from school. My parents had promised me they were not going to be using meth anymore. And when I got home, they were high. And when I got upset about it, they laughed at me. So I just picked up the rock and I threw it. And then the third question is, um, what are you thinking about now? And he said, well, I feel really bad because I didn't mean to do that. I didn't, you know, but I'm really angry. And, you know, what happened in that moment is that his parents were accountable in front of other adults for what they were doing. And we were able to bring services around them and offer them opportunities to get into the treatment that they needed so they could keep the promise that they'd made to their kids. And they're still working on that. They're not fully there yet, but they're working on it. But what happened with the kid was even more strategic because if he went through our normal process, he probably, you know, would have kind a vandalism or something like that, probably would have had to pay a fine. His parents never would have paid it, and it's something that would have followed him. But even more importantly, he would never have been able to look Tom in the face. You know, he would have always hidden from, from what had happened. But this brought everything out into the open. He has a great relationship with Tom. He and Tom uh, fixed the car window together. He got introduced to a neighbor, and the neighbor really helped him to um, connect with school, and he started doing really well in school after that.
0: Well, way to end with a positive story. I I hate to wrap it up, but we'll leave it there. Um, This is Megan Doyle, the Montana Shadow Association. Folks, check it out. It might change your community, too. You've been listening to Voices of
2: Montana. Comments and opinions heard are those of the host or callers, and not necessarily those of this station. Sponsors for Northern News Network. Join us Monday through Friday at 906 for Voices of Montana.